This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome to another edition of The Faithful Expositor. I'm your host, Brother Joe Carpenter. And today I'm sitting here in the studio at Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church with Brother John O. Sims. How you doing this Monday morning, sir? I wanted to take this opportunity, brother, to um, maybe enlarge on that question you just asked me a little bit. I'm doing fine, but this is something that I want to just say right up front that has nothing to do with what we're going to discuss today. But you know what I'm facing right now. Um, mm-hmm. I've been deep in the book of Revelation. Um, the next sermon I preach will be at the True Church Conference, mm-hmm. uh, which starts in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I preach Friday morning, and then I preach Saturday night. So that's two brand-new full-length messages. Also have already started you know, Revelation chapter 19 for my exposition here. Um, I preached two completely separate messages yesterday, one on small groups, one on the ministry of the deacon. Mm -hmm. And uh, the week before that, preached a message on tithing. Mm -hmm. And then I just prepared a message for David Miller's church, Tumbling Shoals Baptist Church in Heber Springs, Arkansas. I'm going to be preaching their wild game dinner there. Mm -hmm. And then I've been asked to preach the fifth anniversary for Christ Baptist Church. I cannot tell you, brother, how the study has been Mm. a multiplicity of topics, a multiplicity of doctrines Mm. um, dealing with, you know, the True Church Conference, dealing with not an easy doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Sometimes, you know, the wearing of many different hats, um, your your mind just reaches almost a saturation point. Mm. Mm. And I got there this past week. And I just had to push away. Mm-hmm. And I left and, and told Kayla, I'm going to go see my dad. I drove down to Muscle Shoals, spent a couple of days with my dad, me, and a couple of the brothers from Grace Life Church of Muscle Shoals, uh, David Young and James Vance, got together and hunted. Hmm. And I just needed that release. I needed mm-hmm. that break. And I just want to say to the brother listening, I know it's a Monday, and mm-hmm. it is for us today. When they listen to this, it'll be Tuesday. But mm-hmm. Monday can be difficult when you've studied hard and you – you, you know, you've dealt with, you know, I'm dealing with some trying circumstances here in the church that mm-hmm. we're facing, and mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And um, a brother needs to, as we have consistently taught here, you know, take breaks mm-hmm. and step away and unburden his heart and unburden his mind because the the depth of things that we deal with, the multiplicity of topics we study and read, the amount of uh, manuscripting that we do mm. can be absolutely overwhelming. Mm. Sometimes our people don't see that. They right. don't understand. Uh, and a person will walk up to you at church and they think the only thing on your mind is the question that they're asking you right there in that moment. <laughs> but you've got, you know, weeks and weeks of things you've been dealing with. And I just want to say to the brother that maybe feels like he's not understood or mm. maybe sometimes not appreciated, mm. that, that your Lord sees you, the Lord appreciates you. Mm-hmm. He knows what you're doing. But sometimes that can be an indicator of the fact that you, too, just need a break. You Amen. need to step away. You need some downtime. You need some some just time when you're not reading. Mm. You're not studying. You're mm. not engaging your mind in deep theological works, and you just uh, mm-hmm. rest. And mm-hmm. so um, it's kind of that for us today, mm-hmm. a, a Monday where we're all just tired and kind of worn, but at the same time have taken a break to kind of – you know, give yourself some relief and some time away. Amen. 
We see it in the example of Paul. Yes. Uh, Epaphroditus came to him and was a refreshment to him. We see That's it right. in Christ who would yep. regularly take time off and get away. And Right. Uh, if the, if our Lord needed it, then we certainly need it as well. Sometimes I, I, you know, I'll be in my office and I'll just pray and say, Lord, you know, quoting the apostles, who is sufficient for these things? Mm. I mean, uh, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and that's mm-hmm. just the truth. I have to study really, really hard, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't have a photographic memory, and retention's not an easy thing for me. And when you have so many varying things that you're reading and so many varying topics that you're studying, thank God it's not this way all the time. Mm-hmm. It can be confusing. Amen. And and just merely keeping your arms around it all and keeping it all straight can be extremely difficult. And um, maybe I'm licking my wounds a little bit, but, you know, I don't think anybody understands the life of a pastor but mm-hmm. another pastor. Exactly. For anybody that's listening and you're not a pastor, this should be a cause for you to be overly loving to your pastor Amen. and understanding and just know that you see a small fragment of what he deals with. You, mm-hmm. you have no idea the, the weight and burdens that he's carrying, things that have been told counseling sessions that he had mm. dealing with difficult situations uh, and, and just be compassionate and loving and kind and affirming amen as much as you possibly can to your pastor i guarantee he needs it and say it to him you, use the it. words <laughs> yeah speak it that's yeah. right he may not ask for it but he certainly needs to hear it at that's times. right amen. i agree amen well then maybe this uh podcast today will kind of come as a breath of fresh air then amen. because we're talking about a subject that's very near and dear to our hearts uh, we're going to be talking today about deacons. Right. Uh, last night, you uh, again, in kind of light of the idea of maybe taking a little break away from the regular expository, verse by verse, uh, preaching through the book of Revelation, um, preached on deacons. And uh, forgive me, I think you told us last night, how long has it been since you preached on deacons here? Well, it would have been, uh, I looked at this book, and we're coming up on five years, five years since I was in the pastoral epistles. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're way on out there three or four years probably mm-hmm. since I preached on it. Now, I had been doing it every October mm-hmm. the entire time I've been here. So for about maybe 20 years, every October, I would preach on the deacon ministry because we would we would nominate men, and the church would go through a very detailed process of how we mm-hmm. uh, choose men for the office of deacon. But we, several years back, felt like that we had a sufficient number of deacons, yep. that there was no re- reason to add to that number at this time. And so, But I've, I've told you and Ryan, I felt convicted that there are some things in the life cycle of a church that are just staple things yeah. that you go back to and you preach on. I preached on small groups. That's yes. one that— needs to be consistently brought up tithing i mm-hmm. you know i preached that the week before deacons would be one of those amen um just just keeping before our our people the the how that office functions what the qualifications are mm-hmm. and to hold those brothers accountable that's right to a very very um high set of standards god lays down in his word that mm-hmm. they're to meet and and consistently meet and operate in amen and i think that's one of the secrets to what god's done in our church here is that we have not fudged in the offices, brother. We've held the standard right where God, ha- right where God has put it. Amen. And that is that this is an office that has attending qualifications, which are not suggestions. Mm-hmm. They're actually qualifications that a man must meet before mm-hmm. he's put in this office. That's right. This is one of Mark Dever's nine marks of a healthy church. 100%. Uh, biblically yep. qualified leadership. That's right. 
And uh, according to the Bible, and I've just pulled up uh, Philippians chapter 1, where Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. I think the King James Version says the bishops and the deacons. Amen. Same idea. Amen. Yeah. You've got your pastors and you've got your, your deacons. And those are the only two uh, uh, offices uh, that exist in, in the church that That's are, right. yeah, that are set apart by God. And so obviously like you know we could we could sit here all day long and talk a lot about some of the doctrine that upholds this and I think that's certainly worthy of our conversation but we want to take a few minutes too and just really dive into what some of your own personal experiences with deacons. Yes. And I'll lead by by with this statement that you brought out in the message yesterday. I believe that you said Jerry Clower who hmm. used to be a a a uh, kind of a Christian comedian and uh but Oftentimes, one of the butts of his joke would be deacons in the church. Yes. And I love how you said that ought not be the, the case. And even beyond Jerry Clower, I mean, I've just, when, when church jokes come up, there's, it, it's almost without fail, one will be about deacons. Yeah. And um, that's sad. It is. When the Bible holds this up as an office that men that are holy mm-hmm. and set apart and love Christ, Amen. you know, that they occupy and fill this office. Filled with the Spirit. Right. Yeah. And I would even enlarge upon that, Brother Joe, and say that there's a lot of pastors that I've talked to that are bitter, that have been burned yeah. by an ungodly, unscrupulous, quote, deacon board mm. that, you know, basically functioned like turf pastors and ran the show and pretty much dictated to the pastor what he could do and what he couldn't do. Mm-hmm. and. And I've talked to so many of those brothers that, you know, are just done with deacons. Mm-hmm. They'll just say, well, you know, I'm not commanded or required, they'll say, mm. in the Bible to to have deacons. And I hope that mm-hmm. we can speak to this right now, brother, because yes. I believe I can bring some balance to this, having now been doing this for 34 years, that you really you're, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. Amen. Properly done, and it takes years, but but properly followed this passage of Scripture uh, and the Acts 6 passage that you talked about, deacons can be, and I know there's a lot of guys who are not going to hear me. They're going to just immediately write me off when I say this. Mm-hmm. But uh, a godly scriptural um, body of deacons, for me now, is the greatest gift God has ever given to Amen, me. Amen, brother. Um, and it can be for the pastor that's listening. Mm-hmm. I, too, like the brother listening, have been burned. Yeah, I have been subjected to unscriptural deacon boards. <laughs> I, too, have, have suffered all that a lot of the guys that are listening, but I just couldn't give up on it, Brother Joe. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't give up on it because it's in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the Holy Spirit wouldn't put this in the Bible unless it was profitable. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I've lived on the other side to now reap the benefits of our deacon body being my best friends, mm-hmm. the men that I trust the most, godly men that love Jesus that walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. When I need counsel, <clears throat> they are among the first men that I go to. Absolutely. And they don't tell me their opinions. They don't tell me, you know, their sentiments. They they take me to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And I am absolutely convinced, brother, that God forbid if if the Lord if the Lord took me home today uh mm-hmm. and I was out of the way, I don't think those men would miss a beat. Yeah. I think the the word of God is and doctrine is is deeply ingrained in their hearts and mm-hmm. I think they would insist that the church continue to be 
the pillar and the ground of the truth, as it says in this text before us today. Absolutely. Why do you think it is, too, that, that we get all this blowback about deacons? And why? I guess maybe the question would better be, why is it that there, we've seen kind of a, a tradition even, or a uh, uh, just that seems to be the... Uh, what we we've seen deacons that have taken these ungodly roles in the church, uh, almost setting themselves up to be pastors, turf lords, you know, in the church. What what's caused this? I submit to you, brother, that it's the very reason that I'm saying here: preachers didn't preach it, and they didn't see it through hmm. to hmm. biblical health. Yeah, they just. And a lot of them get terminated and fired, and yeah, <laughs> so they can't really proactively lead. Hmm. But if if you are going to be a long-term, mm. long-tenured pastor, mm-hmm. you're going to have to preach the whole counsel of God. And part of that is what is the legitimate deacon office? What is the legitimate deacon ministry? Yeah. What does it look like? How does it function? How does it operate? Who can be one? Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to, in our Baptist churches, polity is whacked out yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. Um, there's not a clear understanding of what an elder is. Right. There's not a clear understanding of what a deacon is. Mm -hmm. And so because there's uh, ecclesiological Mm -hmm. problems, uh, you know, a vacuum is always filled, they say, in Mm -hmm. physiology. And in church work where there's a vacuum, it'll usually be filled with the wrong thing. That's right. And so deacons have stepped in in the average Baptist church because there's not a very good understanding of polity. Mm. And they filled a void in a vacuum Mm. and ended up filling it in the wrong way. And Satan gets involved. Yes. Years and years of entrenched strongholds and wrong systems of thinking get involved to the standpoint that basically an unscriptural deacon board now has a chokehold on the local congregation and they Mm. can't move and function Mm -hmm. in the way the Holy Spirit would have them using the gifts that he's given to the church under the leadership of elders because uh, the deacons have a beachhead. They have a stronghold. They control that church. This is our church. Right. And you can't do that here. We're not going to allow you to do that here. And multiply that times thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Baptist churches. No wonder a lot of pastors have a sour taste in their mouth about the deacon ministry. I'm just here as one voice today to say it doesn't have to be that way. Amen, brother. It can be right. It can be done right. And I hope and measure Shelbyville Mills as an example of the way that it's supposed to be done. Any brother out there that's listening, I give you an open invitation Amen. to get in your car and drive to Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. Anytime we have a pastor's deacons meeting, you can come in. And last night we dealt with some unbelievable weighty, weighty matters, which you know I'm still carrying the burden of that this very morning. Amen. And... Um, but brother, uh, any any brother that wanted to come, I would have not told him, oh, you can't be in there because we're dealing with something serious tonight. <laughs> I would invite him to come for the very fact that we are dealing with something very serious. And I wish any brother listening could have been there last night and seen mm-hmm. the real process of men, deacons, and pastors locking arms together, dealing with gut-punching stuff. Yeah. And so, again, um, here I am now I've been in the ministry for over three decades. I've been here as the pastor for uh, last week was my 23rd anniversary here. And I'm telling you, brother, Mm. that the greatest gift God has ever given to me is you and Ryan and those 15, 16 men that were in that room last night who are rocks and anchors, Mm -hmm. love the Word, love the church. Mm -hmm. There's not an ounce of 
turf pasturing in there. Mm -mm. There's not an ounce of manipulation or coercion or control. Mm. It's a group of men that love Jesus. And here's the reason we've been able to see that be the case, brother. We have insisted, insisted with the strongest resolve possible Mm. that the qualifications are real qualifications. Amen. We do not put a man in the office of pastor unless we are absolutely firmly convinced that he, and I might add, and his wife, Mm -hmm. and we can explain that more, but that they indeed meet the qualifications that must be met in order for him to hold the office of deacon in our church. That's right. And we've not fudged on that, brother. Amen. Amen. We've never fudged on that. I'll never forget when I first took uh, my first pastorate sitting in a deacon's meeting, and we were talking about deacon nominations that were coming up fairly soon. And one of the remarks that was made was, well, what about this person here? I know he doesn't come to church very often, but maybe this will spur him on to come to church more. You might as well just ride Ichabod across the door of your church because what you're doing is you're inviting Satan in to to, to, to lord it over the congregation and control and manipulate. You're taking a person that, does not come to church, mm-hmm. doesn't think scripturally, doesn't think biblically, doesn't have the heart of Christ for his church, and you're putting them, you know, I'm sad to say, but in a in a Baptist church, and wrongly, yeah. this is looked as a position of authority, and it's not. Right. And I've taught that. I t- clearly taught it yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's not a position of authority, but in the average Baptist church, it's viewed that way. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you've got a person in authority that is just basically shutting the church down, and like begets like. That's right. He'll go out and he'll attract other people to that office just like him. And before long, you've got a church completely shut down, brother. That's right. So what is a deacon? Seems like a lot of the issues and the confusion comes over that about just the understanding of what is a deacon. Well, first of all, let me say that the term pastor, elder, bishop, uh, has from Christ authority attached to it to rule, Amen. to oversee, and to guide the flock of God. Mm. So th- the office of pastor is an office that carries with it authority because of what we do. We handle the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And the, the the Scriptures, they're binding on the church. Yeah. We're, we're regulated by the Word of God. And so the pastor that's teaching the Word of God when he brings precepts and principles and commands from the Word of God, that's binding on the mm-hmm. church. It's not that he has inherent authority, yeah. but it's that he holds the authority in his hands when he preaches the Word of God. That's right. There is no authority at all associated with the office of New Testament deacon. Mm-hmm. Purely and simply, in whatever root form the word diakoneo or diakonos mm-hmm. is used, it's purely a servant. Mm-hmm. It just means a servant. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, uh, the King James Version and other versions translate the word that we would say deacon as servant. Mm. It's Mm. just translated simply as a servant. Mm -hmm. The etymology of this word we get from it was table waiters. Mm. This this was a person that actually would be a food server. Mm. And that's why in the Acts 6, which I believe is the embryonic form of the office of New Testament deacon, Mm -hmm. when Paul wrote this text before us in 1 Timothy 3, it was 30 years later, and the office had become more Mm well-defined. But I do believe in Acts 6, you have at least the embryonic form. Absolutely. And that's the the Greek widows were murmuring and complaining against the Hellenists that Mm -hmm. their needs 
were being overlooked when the food was being handed out. Mm-hmm. So they commandeered some table waiters, mm-hmm. um, seven men among you, and it says men of God, holy, mm-hmm. you know, whom we may appoint over this business. Mm-hmm. And so the the first form, if you will, of deacons was handing out food to destitute widows. Yeah. And so it's it's an it's an office of servanthood. Mm-hmm. Now I'm jumping way ahead, <laughs> but I preached on small groups yesterday, and small groups is one of the main tools we use in our church here to make disciples. And I stated it this way: the gap, and there often is a gap. Mm-hmm. The what it looks like in our church, the gap between me and you and Ryan as pastors, and our small group ministry, which the ministry of our church is carried out by small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we need to have another discussion of that one day. Sure. Now, whatever the gap is between what you and me and Ryan accomplish, what our small groups accomplish, that falls to our deacons mm. and, and more. Mm-hmm. Um, benevolence needs. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, needs within and without mm-hmm. the church. Um, our widow ministry. Widow ministry yeah. also. um Brother, just basically looking and surveying around the church and looking at things that need to be done from a building and grounds perspective, Mm -hmm. these brothers are on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of them are small group leaders. A lot of them serve on our security team. Mm -hmm. Basically, brother, they just have the attitude and the heart and the spirit of whatever needs to be done, I'm going to do it. That's right. I remember when I studied through the pastoral epistles and I dovetailed Acts 6 with this, there was one of the commentators that I read of this, one of the definitions of this word for deacon means to kick up the dust. Yeah. And, and it's the image of a guy that's so busy serving that there's a dust trail flying up from his boots <laughs> out the back. Mm. And th- so it's not a lordship position. Right. It's not an oversight, overseer position. It's not an eldership position. There's only one difference in the qualification between an elder and a deacon, and that is that an elder be apt to teach, mm-hmm. though most of our deacons do teach, they do, and yeah. they're very involved. Um, it's not a teaching ministry. It's mm-hmm. a servant ministry. Mm-hmm. And so basically, brother, a deacon is a servant. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I want to get into not all of the qualifications I think that we, you dealt with in the sermon. I'd, in, I'd encourage our listeners to go back and listen to the sermon uh, but there's a few that we want to get into, specifically the parallel that you make between verse 8 and verse 11 there. But before we do that, I, I think this is a good opportunity to touch on then, how does then uh, how do those deacons here uh, kind of function here in that capacity? And you've kind of broached the subject already. And I mean, we have combined meetings we with do. them where the pastors and the deacons sit do. down and, and we talk about very... Uh, important issues yes. uh, that are going on. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about how that plays out. To me, this is the most beautiful thing of who we are, mm-hmm. and I think our church is a healthy church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real process. I hate to say it, brother, but there's a lot of impure motives in all of us. Sure. And mm-hmm. I've talked to so many pastors, and that I've got to have elders, I've got to have elders, I've got to have elders. Mm especially young pastors. And, and, and for them, quote, getting elders is almost like checking the boxes of all the things I need to do to be reformed, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, okay, this is one more hill I've got to conquer here. And they don't really grasp what they're doing. They don't really grasp, uh, you know, what is an elder? How does an elder function? What is a deacon? How does a deacon function? And let's be honest, you and I both, I've talked to a lot of pastors who almost, if they were honest, 
view getting an elder board as them just simply getting to be able to have their will all the time. Mm. They get to do now what they want to do because I've got an elder board and we call all the shots. Mm. And and so at the end of the day, it comes down to control again. Yeah. You know, some people control, some people complain that deacon boards are controlling the church and they flip right around, just change the name, do the same thing under the banner of elders. Wow. And it's not a real process. The pastor sets him up self as a CEO. He's untouchable. Nobody can get to him. Mm-hmm. Nobody can, uh, you know, nobody can speak to him right. nobody can disagree with him and he's got this insular board of elders that insulate him from mm-hmm. you know hearing or entertaining any you know contrary voice or whatever i don't think that's good yeah and brother i think we have a real process mm-hmm. there's a group of godly mature men in that room pastors and deacons that regularly and routinely meet together mm-hmm. and every brother before god has mm-hmm. a responsibility to be a berean to search the scriptures to see if these things are so, and we speak openly. Yeah, we speak freely. Mm-hmm. I don't preempt everybody to get them to pair it back to me and package all of their statements in the packages that I've neatly laid out for them, brother. I want them to be mature men to be able to express their hearts. Now, there's a way we do that, and it needs to be respectful and it needs to be biblical. So, I think we have a very real process. And the way I would state it is this. The qualifications for a deacon are equal in every way to the qualifications of an elder. This is not a second-class office, so to speak. The only difference is apt to teach. So for me, now I do meet in staff meeting with you and Joe. Y'all are elders. We're pastors. We have a Monday morning staff meeting. But I can't imagine, brother, having a meeting like we had last night and the mm. deacons not be included in it mm-hmm. because there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Mm-hmm. These men have proven themselves. Yeah, They've been through a church split. Many of them, their friends have left them. Many of them, their family has left and gone to other places. And they've had to make up their minds, is this a biblical church? And I think they've answered that question affirmatively. And now their attitude is, okay, this is a biblical church. Our pastor's preaching the Word of God. We're going to stay. Mm. Why would I not seek their counsel? Why would I not want to hear what they have to say? Mm-hmm. And so when we meet, brother, it's a joint meeting. That's right. And every brother is able to share his heart and to share what he's prayed about and his what he studied in the Scriptures and and share his concerns. Yeah. I believe it's a very real bona fide process. Absolutely. And I'm not in there dictatorially, <laughs> you know, um, saying everything you say has to meet my grid. Right. Every brother can express his heart, but here's what I found, brother, and I want people to come see with their own eyes and see if I'm not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. We can discuss, and we can even discuss things in a lively manner, but we walk out of there agreed, mm-hmm. unified, that we're going to obey the scriptures and follow what the word of God says. That's right. So that's just a thumbnail sketch. I don't know if I've accurately represented it, but it's a real process. It really is. And I, I would say this about it. I, I understand that, that there may that be that brother that's listening to it who, again, has been burned by a carnal board of deacons. Yes. I, I get all of that. And so when they hear what you're saying there about being transparent with this group, about everybody has an equal say and there's just a great opportunity for we want to hear their their wisdom and you know their understanding of the scripture on this particular issue that's going on the reason why we can do that and we could talk about longevity but 
like you preached last night, one of those uh, qualifications is that they first be proved. Yes. It's not like you said that we just put them through some trial period of four to five or six months where, like you said last night, they could just fake it for a while and then show their true colors later on when the first heavy discipline case comes up or something to that effect. These men have all—we've already been watching. We've, we see them. We know who they are. Well, years ago, 23 years ago, you know, the first staff member I called was David Brown. Hmm. And we both theologically and methodologically were on the exact same page. And we just sat down and agreed there was no book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, but we already believed them. And mm-hmm. the reason is because Mark got them from the Bible. Amen. You know, yeah. He didn't come up with those neat little ideas <laughs> on his own. I mean, we were already there, brother. Mm-hmm. We might not have been able to articulate it as, quote, nine marks, but the, but those marks were already in our hearts and in our minds because we had studied, you know, Acts mm-hmm. chapter 2. We had studied First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, and we'd studied Paul's epistles mm-hmm. and and so these things were already ingrained in our hearts and in our minds. And God gave us, and I don't any other way to say it, but the grace of Jesus. Mm-hmm. God gave me and Brother David the presence of mind way back yonder to understand here. We're not just going to die on every insignificant hill right up front. Neither one of us would have probably had a job. <laughs> but we did decide here's going to be a, here's a couple of places right up front we're going to take our stand. Mm-hmm. And we will not fudge on this. One of them was church membership, mm-hmm. that we would have a membership process by which you join this church, and we would explain right up front who we were doctrinally. And we understood that general, generationally that would pay dividends, Amen. that as time went on and people came, they would be joining a church knowing what they were joining and agreeing and signing on right up front. So we really drew a hard line right up front on who we are, how you join this church, and what's expected if you join. The second place we decided to make our stand was qualification for leadership. Mm. Whether we hire you as a staff member, a pastor, mm-hmm. staff member, or whether you're elected as a deacon at this church, we will not fudge. And boy, in those early years, it was uncomfortable. Mm. There was people that hated it. Mm. But brother, we just had unshaken resolve. Amen. And now I'm benefiting from it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to choose your battles wisely. But I would say to any brother listening, those would to be two areas where I would make my mind right up front you know, because who you who who can join your church and who's allowed to join your church and how membership works is crucial yes. to the direction of that church and who can lead it yeah. and who can serve it mm-hmm. is equally important. And so now, brother, all these years down the road, it's purified the body, the mm-hmm. membership, and it's given us good, godly, holy, scripture saturated leadership. That's right. And I'm so thankful we towed the line there in those areas. Well, and today too this is not a battle to obtain biblical qualified leadership. It's you know, we're we're coming on the other side of this now and now that's just the expectation. Truth, but, truthfully, brother, and mm-hmm. like I said in the introduction, it's been a few years since we did deacon elections, but um the truth is, and this is just the fact. Now you can check it out and ask anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of people nominated to be in a deacon in our church never make it. That's right. They they never make it because it's a very and as a matter of fact, a lot of guys have learned 
through the year, I need not apply. Right. I don't want to put myself and my wife through the process that I know I'm going to have to go through. It's yeah. going to be, it's not unloving, but mm-hmm. it is It is real. Mm-hmm. And only to get to the other side and, and have that group of men look at me and say, we love you, brother, but you're just not ready right now. That's right. And that's typically what happens unless a brother is what he's supposed to be. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, the, in the King James Version, it's a little bit obscure. It says, let them first be proved. Mm. And some have thought that means a probationary period. But mm-hmm. I've always said anybody can fake it for six months. That's right. It's not a probationary period where the brother you mentioned that doesn't come to church all of a sudden starts coming. <laughs> Uh, when it says, let them first be proved, it means as you look at the body of their work, (laughs) as you look at their life over a timeline, does their life pass the test? And if it does not, you do not, I say, you do not put them in the office of deacon. Mm -hmm. And brother, I want to say to you, the guy that's listening to me, what you compromise on today, you're going to pay for in excess Mm -hmm. on down the road. Mm -hmm. Your small, seemingly controversial, compromises today are going to be avalanches tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying you better toe the line when it comes to the two offices of the church. Amen, brother. Before we get into that parallel between verses 8 and 11, I just wanted to wonder if you could just give us a brief snapshot then of walking us through that election process for a deacon at Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. We've alluded to it, but what is it? what does it kind of look like in, in real time for us? That's a good question, brother. Um, what we have done the entire time I've been here is the Bible says in Acts, look ye out among you seven men uh, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, whom we may appoint over this business. Um, and because the, the doctrine has been taught again and again and again and again, our people understand how serious this is. Amen. And so um, they nominate men for the office of deacon. We just have open nominations. They Mm -hmm. can nominate as many as they want to. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember, brother, and I know that this is probably the most subjective of everything I'm going to tell you. Help me, but I think it states in our church that a man must be 25 years old. I think I'm right on that to be nominated for the office of deacon. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right I believe that's true. And um, so all nominations that come in that are 25 years, and of course it has to be a man. We, we're going to talk about this in a moment. Yep. We don't believe in deaconesses. We Amen. don't have women deacons. We believe this is an office that the Lord has restricted to male leadership. Um, they will receive in the mail a, a, a questionnaire, mm-hmm. and that questionnaire is, is very involved. Mm-hmm. And we say in the letter how serious this is, that this should be taken with great weight, great prayer, Great consideration. If you would like to be considered for the office of deacon, you and your wife, because there's also a questionnaire for her, mm-hmm. fill out this questionnaire, return it to us, and we will um, be back in touch with you. Mm-hmm. So those letters come in, and they come into the church office. Now, if we know right up front that a man's disqualified for the office, obviously we're, we're not going to put him through this process. I no. mean, there's just no—it's pointless. Right. But of the men, at least as best we know on the surface that we think possibly are qualified for the office, then we set up a meeting with him and his wife where they come before the entire pastorate and the entire deacon body, and we go through that questionnaire line by line, and then we go through 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 16, and examine them for the biblical qualifications. Hmm. And then they are dismissed from the meeting. And we have a very, very, very open 
transparent meeting about the brother and his wife where every man lays it out there. That's right. Here's what I've seen, and it's honest, brother. It's very honest. And then there is a vote, a show of hands taken from among all pastors and deacons whether we proceed forward or not with this person. And if they agree, yes, he's qualified, yes, his wife is going to be a good deacon's wife, and and Mm -hmm. she doesn't, quote, disqualify him from being a deacon, but she'll actually be an asset to him, then uh, the numbers of men that make it through that process are turned back to the church Mm -hmm. for a final affirmation because we we are congregationalists, and we do believe that the congregation's the final authority. And uh, the congregation would then, you know, vote to approve those men and affirm those men for the office of deacon. So it's a very involved process. It is, and it's somewhat lengthy. It, it is. It doesn't just happen over the course of a week or two. It's, it's several months yeah. from the moment they're nominated to the moment they get their questionnaire to the moment we actually interview them and then install them in the office of deacon. Mm-hmm. And as you said a minute ago, uh, you know, we, we brought up the subject of deaconesses. Uh, and I think when we start talking about that parallelism now, then between verses 8 and 11, that'll come up as well as uh, the the issue of divorce. And so I wanted to kind of touch base then where you uh, brought us to with the text uh, uh, in the message last night. Uh, this would have been, I believe, under point number one, where you begin to talk about the character of a deacon and his wife. And right. we see this in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and 11. And you made a really good point of just drawing out, first of all, that there is a real parallelism that exists between verse 8 and 11. And in fact, if you take those those terms and just set them side by side, you can clearly see that these two are, are very much, like I said earlier, parallel to one another. And let's talk about, first of all, the fact that this biblical qualification that Paul writes here to Timothy immediately limits the office of deacon to men only. Right. And a lot of that you drew out was because in the context, in everything that we see in the text, we're seeing words that are male, uh, gendered terms throughout the entire thing. And so it's clearly talking about male leadership. Expound upon that that a little bit more for us there. Well, the, I ba- know. <laughs> the basic rules of interpretation that we're all taught in exegesis would just completely debunk the whole notion of First Timothy three eleven establishing a separate office for deaconess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it also needs to be said that no translation I'm aware of uses the word deaconess. Now there may be one I've that does, but I'm, I'm not aware of it. It's just the Romans text talks about Phoebe as a servant, but the word servant can be used generically, you know, throughout the New Testament. So at best. Deaconess is a transliteration Mm -hmm. that doesn't find warrant in the scriptures. But beyond that, I believe it's an exegetical fallacy, Mm -hmm. personally, to interpret 1 Timothy 3.11 as a separate office of deacons that are women for these reasons. First of all, you have 1 Timothy 3 one through eight, which are all male gendered terms, or verse seven, dealing with the office of elder. Mm-hmm. And then you have First Timothy three, eight through sixteen, which are all male gendered terms dealing with the office of deacon. You have one verse and only one verse in sixteen verses 
sandwiched between the qualifications of elders and the qualification of deacons that these brothers point to and say, no, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 is a separate office of women deacons. There is absolutely nothing, right? absolutely nothing in that text to indicate that. It is pure conjecture. Mm-hmm. Everything before verse 11, male gender terms. Everything after verse 11, male gender terms. Yeah. I believe, and by the way, every every credible translation that I read, I think the only exception, and it is a credible translation, would be the New American Standard. I right. think I'm right on that. And it just refers to women. Right. Right. But but all the others, King James Version, New King James, ESV, uh, NIV, um, Home of Christian Standard says, likewise, their wives. Wives. And I believe those are the brothers that got it right. Mm-hmm. He's merely talking about the wife of a deacon. Right. He's saying, here is the qualifications of a deacon. And by the way, his wife needs to be this as well. Mm-hmm. And those qualifications, if you will, parallel one another. They're, right. they're almost identical. So what he's saying is is that if a man is going to be a deacon, he needs a wife that you know, represents the same Christian character and values. That's why we interview the man and his wife. That's right. And I'll say this for the office of elder as well as the office of deacon. I know a lot of good pastors that have been done in by an ungodly wife. Yeah. And I know a lot of men that were good and godly deacons that have just been absolutely done in by an ungodly mm. wife. Mm. And um, any preacher out there that's listening or any young guy that thinks he may be called to be a preacher, you better marry right. That's right, brother. That's um, right. Because uh, you're not going to make it as an elder or a deacon if, if you've got a woman that's you know not a godly woman and on board fully. That's right. Uh, if you can't make a disciple of her, you don't have much of a chance of making disciples anywhere else. And um, so I, I don't believe at all we have a separate office of deaconess. Right. Um, and I've heard all the arguments. Right. And those are brothers that I love and yeah. respect deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a, you know, a, I, you know, complete break of fellowship with them over this at all. Right. But it is important. It is. And it's very important for us. It is. And we would never allow a woman to be in the office of elder or deacon mm-hmm. in our church. That's right. And one of the other issues that we point to, and I, I agree 100% with the sandwich uh, hermeneutic there, that he's not going to just move from the qualifications of a male deacon, then take one verse and focus on the only qualifications for a female deacon, and then in the very next verse, go right back to the male deacon again. Do you mean to tell me that Paul is absolutely crystal clear? He says elders. Right. Then he's absolutely crystal clear on deacons. He's identifying, okay, here's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about pastors. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm talking about deacons. Would he not say, oh, and now I'm talking about deaconesses? Sure. It is just... Mm -hmm. And all the men that I love so deeply that have taught me exegesis and taught me how to rightly divide the word of truth seem to fall for this. It's always just been kind of a a shocker to me that that here, to me, 1 Timothy 3.11 would be the test case of exegetical fallacies that men make, of, of taking one verse and lifting it out mm-hmm. of its overwhelming context and making it say something that is not clear. There is no evidence at all to advocate for 
women deacons That's from right. this or any other text. That's right. Let's move on to the issue of husbands of only one uh, husbands of only one wife. The New American Standard uh, says there, and we understand that here to mean that this is a clear prohibition on divorcees yes. being uh, entering into the office of deacon or elder or elder. That's right. Yep. Yep. Well, my question to you would be: How many is one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one. <laughs> well, they'll say it's one at a time. Well, my question is, okay, well, how many? Right. How many do they get to do one at a time with? It, 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 you know, that that's the sticky problem you get. Is it is it is it two? Mm. We still okay with two? Okay, how about four? Mm. Are we are, are we still okay with four? Okay, how about seven? Are, are are we now okay with seven? And 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 you say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, really, who draws the line? Mm-hmm. Who who gets to say, well, four's the threshold? Three's the threshold. Two's the threshold. When God said one is the threshold. Right. And I just believe that this is just a simple matter for me, uh, that the way that I'm the husband of one wife is to be the husband of one wife. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that means if if a man's wife dies, because we've got Scripture that clearly speaks to that. Mm -hmm. If a guy's wife dies, he's free to remarry. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other passages that clearly teach that, and I would take that to mean then that He's still qualified to be an elder or a Absolutely. deacon. But I pure and simple believe that it's that it's a prohibition of, of divorce mm-hmm. for the two offices of the church. You also brought up, too, that it doesn't mean that uh, he has to be married. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, that, but that's, that's not clearly, clearly stated. Right. But the safest and surest way to be the husband of one wife is don't ever get divorced. That's right. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to ask me to step down, brother, if Kayla divorced me. I wouldn't fight for, oh, I'm going to still be a pastor. Right. Uh, you know, that to me, I would understand, okay, I'm no longer qualified mm-hmm. to, to be a pastor or a deacon. Yeah. And um, so I, I really do believe this is one of the things that has enabled us to keep this office um, holy and sacred and pure and yeah. and strong and viable and, and hearty and robust. Yeah. And I would say to any brother listening, when you open, and I'm not trying to sound like a pragmatist at all because I stand by my theological interpretation here, mm-hmm. but when you open that Pandora's box and you start going down it, then you, you're you going to have a hard time pumping the brakes with a guy in your church that's been divorced and remarried three times. Right? How can you tell the guy that's been divorced and remarried three times he can't be a deacon? How do you tell him that? Right. Oh well, he's he's not really been a one woman man by whose standards? Exactly. How, what's the time period? How, so if a guy has been divorced, but he has several years that he hasn't been divorced, all of a sudden we say, well, that's a one woman man, mm-hmm. brother. That is so subjective. Right. It to me, it's just much more clear to understand here that he's he's prohibiting a man from being divorced, being in one of the offices. That's right. And the Scripture does not in any way define that out. Right. You know, that, oh, well, it's three divorces is okay, two divorces is okay, you know. Yep. And, uh, and there is a, and I guess we've, we've all got to be careful here. I'm sure, I, I'm sure that when I stand before the Lord in the judgment, I will have had times when I've, I've been guilty. I strive not to be, though. Mm-hmm. But I, I do want to say that, that men can... If they're if they're not very careful, they can go back and find some obscure second tier, third tier um, definition of a Greek word and kind of twist it and make it say what they want to say, brother. That's right. And you got to be very careful that you're not, 
you know, uh, you don't have impure motives, that there's something you hope to get and something you want to attain or justify or justify. So, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to go back and find a word in the Greek that makes me more comfortable bending or twisting here mm. to op- open up the office of elder and pastor to divorced men. That's right. You know, it's a high and holy standard. It is, brother. And and what you've what we've always believed here is that when God calls a man to be a pastor or a deacon, He equips that man, and that includes these qualifications. These aren't qualifications that you strive to achieve. Yep. That's just who the person is by God's grace. Now, I can respect a brother who that's his theological position. He arrives at it through what he would say are sound hermeneutics, and he's got deep convictions about it. And he's got years and years and years of longevity in his church of walking that principle out. I can respect that man, but there's just a lot of uh, armchair theological quarterbacks out there that want to get embroiled in theological debates. And here's what I want to say. I don't have time for them, and here's the reason, brother. I'm in a loving church that's healthy by God's grace and, and strong and mature and handles things in a, in a just and a right way because we have held the line here on things like divorce in the offices of the church. And I'm, I am blessed today beyond measure mm-hmm. because we towed the line here. Amen. Uh, I, am, I would not change that. I, ha, I don't have the slightest hesitation of going back and saying, well, I wish we wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. If I was starting over today, brother, I would cling to the fact that a man that's divorced can't be an elder or a deacon. Yeah. I would hold that line very, very firm as I have because I see how the Lord has used that to purify the offices, to keep them Christward godly and holy mm. and 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 not get off into all these compromising areas That's to right. where we start justifying sin to appease whoever wherever yeah. um, so I've lived this and I would just say that the purity of the office is, is worth fighting for and worth sticking to your guns on and hanging to your convictions and not becoming you know politically correct and trying to appease somebody out there somewhere that disagrees with you on that That's right I had an older preacher tell me right up front he said you better, Make up your mind very, very early where you stand on the issue of divorce because you're going to be tested. And boy, was he right. Yeah, absolutely. And it really can become an issue of reproach. It can. You know, uh, whether or not we're even talking about a biblically justifiable divorce or not, it can just become an issue of reproach. And that's one of the reasons, too, why we're not just talking about the man. We're talking about the woman, too, that, that his wife cannot be a divorcee as well. Right. And again, it's just the Lord sanctifying that office. Yes, exactly, brother. And the two are one. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, what she does, he is directly responsible for. Yeah. What Kayla does, I'm directly responsible for. What Ashley says and does, you're directly responsible for. Mm-hmm. I'll promise you this, brother, mm-hmm. and you know me, mm-hmm. if things were brought to me that Ashley Carpenter was saying in this church, I wouldn't go to Ashley. Who would I come to? To me. I'd come to you, mm-hmm. and I'd say to you, brother, <laughs> you better get this right. Yeah. You know, you need to bring your wife into subjection here, mm-hmm. and that's your job. Amen. And um, so, uh, you know, a, 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 an unscriptural um, wife makes an unscriptural deacon. That's true. And an unscriptural uh, wife makes an unscriptural elder. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I know a many of, of would-be man of God that have been done in by an ungodly woman. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, I think we've, uh, I wouldn't say exhausted the issue here, but we've certainly covered a lot of ground here this morning. 
Is there any final thoughts that you have when it comes to deacons? Well, you know, we just haven't dove into the, re- the remainder of the qualifications. I didn't think we would make it that far. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, and we can maybe do that another time. Yeah. Um, but I would just say this again to repeat what we said earlier. I'm living what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. This is not philosophy. This is not a seminary classroom. This is not a, a bunch of young theologues sitting around, <laughs> you know, uh, debating, having a lively debate on all of the, you know, the nuances of, of diaconeo and, and, and such and forth. Brother, I, I have lived now uh, multiple years on the other side of a deacon body being healthy and strong. Mm-hmm. They are our friends. Mm-hmm. They are our supporters. They are our helpers. They are our servants. They're my best friends. They're the men I go to for counsel, and they're the men I turn to for church discipline. Brother. Amen, brother. Um, whenever we have difficult issues, they're not standing in the way. They're leading the charge. That's right. And, brother, I'm to the point now, almost 60 years old, to where I don't have to fight the battle so much on my own anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things don't fall into my lap. They fall in their lap. Mm-hmm. And mo- you know this is true. Most of the time, there are exceptions, but most of the time when we go to a pastor's deacons meeting and there's a church discipline issue, they bring it up. And they'll agree among themselves, okay, me and brother so-and-so are going to go see them Monday and we'll report back to y'all. Amen. And then they come back and make the report. And then it's decided among that group, okay, this this needs to be taken to the church pastor. Mm-hmm. We, we need you to oversee this. We need you to bring this to the church with our full unanimous recommendation. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the way it flows mm-hmm. is that they're the ones that are – have their finger on the pulse beat because they're servants right. of where the body is. And and I've just learned to love them. Mm-hmm. I've learned to trust them. They are, as Paul said, my co-laborers. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine now shepherding and pastoring without them, brother. Mm-hmm. They are godly men that I love. They're not perfect men, mm-hmm. but I love them. And they love me with my imperfections, and I think we have a wonderful working relationship. It's a beautiful thing to behold. Amen, brother. And thank God for a a sweet, healthy deacon body. We're very thankful for them. I personally have been a recipient of their uh, their ministry over the years, their friendship, uh, and, and it's just been nothing but sweet joy the whole time. I would say one more thing just before we sign off, brother, I can't tell you the numbers of times that I've gone into a deacon's meeting discouraged, mm. down, mm-hmm. almost depressed. I can't tell you the numbers of times I've gone in and felt alone mm. and isolated and came out of there revived. Mm-hmm. I mean, came out of there encouraged and and realized I'm not alone. <laughs> Pastor, this is not, we're with you. This mm-hmm. is not your battle. This is our battle. Mm-hmm. And we're with you, brother. Let us handle this. Let us let us deal with this. And you get ready to preach. And I've just come out of there, brother. And last night was another indication of that. I've just come out of there revived mm-hmm. with a clear head, mm-hmm. with my marching orders before me to preach the word. Amen. And last night, one of the brothers spoke up, and you heard him, brother. Mm -hmm. And he said, Pastor, we don't want you to be distracted. That's right. We want you to be focused on the Word, brother. Get back to the Word. Get back to prayer. Mm. We're on this. We've got this, brother. Unburden yourself. Take this off your mind. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. That's exactly what was said to me. And I just left encouraged and strengthened. So I hope I offer some hope to a brother out there. Don't give up on the deacon Amen, brother. The Holy Spirit thought it wise mm-hmm. to put deacons in his church. Yep. Don't give up on it. That's right. Uh, do it the right way, and, and it's a blessing, if you will. 
one of the very first deacons meetings that I had ever attended in this church was when I had, by the way, just come from a church where I was slaughtered. You got fired by the deacons. By the carnal <laughs> yeah, deacon yeah, body. Yeah. And But I came into a deacons meeting here not knowing what to expect, but just came into the Probably meeting. Probably had your guard up a little I bit. I did. Yeah. I definitely did. But they opened up the book Dangerous Calling by, yes. was it Paul or David Tripp? Tripp. One of those mustache uh, uh, guys. Uh, I believe it's Paul Tripp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great book yeah. about pastoral encouragement. Right. And they opened it up and began to talk about encouraging pastors. And brother, I wept. Yeah. I wept in that meeting because ever since then, by the way, ever since that's all I've it's seen all ever been. is pastoral encouragement. And and it's a joy. We could talk about what it looks like in the Bible all day long, and we know that. We will long for that. But, brother, when you actually get an opportunity to live it out. Well, boy, I was hoping the podcast would go this way. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's impo- And we have talked about some of the qualifications. But sure. I'm, I'm glad this is focused more on heart and yes. and how we function and operate as a local church. I, I'll tell you one, one final story. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, one of our deacons at that time, I believe it was Gary Thrash, mm-hmm. said to me, Pastor, we would like as a group for you to teach us the intricacies of the atonement. Mm. We we would like to study the atonement. And so for weeks, brother, mm. we looked at the doctrine of propitiation. And then we spent several weeks looking at imputation. And then we spent several weeks looking at expiation. Mm. Mm. And then we came down based upon those three doctrines to an understanding that of, of a limited atonement, brother. Mm. And that's that's what we believe. That's right. That some people say a particular atonement, sure. that Jesus Christ mm-hmm. died for the sins of his people. Mm-hmm. He, he came to get the bride the Father gave to him and chose for him before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. And, brother, that was a springboard to the rest of our church of understanding doctrinally what we believe about the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That came through our deacon body. Amen. And I wrote that song we sing called The Atonement. Yes, you know? love it. Mm. And and that song grew out of that study. Mm. And, and so I just want to say that deacons can be a real bona fide, robust doctrinal yeah. group that love the word and love truth and love their pastor. Really defenders, gatekeepers, yeah. advocates mm-hmm. for the pastor and for truth, I'm living that. Amen, I brother. say it humbly, brother, but it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm so glad I didn't, in bitterness and unbelief and frustration, give up on something that God believed the church needed. Amen, brother. And the church desperately needs the office of the biblical office of New Testament deacon. Amen, brother. Well, on that, we'll bring this podcast to a close. And I just, again, want to thank our listeners. I want to encourage you again to go back onto our website and to just download and listen to Brother Jono's sermon series through the book of Revelation. It has been wonderful, but it hasn't been without uh, trial. We've, uh, we've certainly experienced some spiritual warfare going through it, so we ask for your prayers as well. But please go back and listen to those messages. And also, we'd love to hear back from you. If you've got some feedback or questions, please give me an email at brojo at smbconline.com We love you and we thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for listening to the Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website smbconline.com and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.